Welcome into the Sports Objective. We appreciate you tuning in however and whenever you're listening to the show. Remember, you can find us on most any podcast platform. Plus, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as we're closing in on 500 subscribers. Make sure you ring the notification bell so you're alerted when we release new content. And we have plenty headed your way over the next few days and weeks as the Pirates are headed to Annapolis to take on ACC foe Boston College in the Military Bowl. And then obviously also East Carolina basketball uh, will resume action here in the next few days as they will take on Liberty down in Charlotte at the Spectrum Center, the Hornets Arena, a very talented Liberty Ball Club. So an excellent test for Joe Dooley and company. And then they'll return home on Tuesday the 21st, a rare noon tip-off against Southern Miss before beginning league play on the 29th of December against Wichita State as the Shockers come to williams Arena Menjis Coliseum to take on what could potentially be a 10-2 East Carolina team. Today we have a huge show for you as we have conversations with East Carolina AD John Gilbert, who just started his fourth year at the helm of the Pirates Athletic Program. We discuss Mike Houston's contract extension and pay raise as Coach Houston went from $1.5 million annually to $2.3 million. And we also talk about scheduling a forthcoming capital campaign and a whole lot more. You also hear a 20-plus minute chat with the eighth-year baseball coach of the Pirates, Cliff Godwin, as we talked a variety of topics with the 2022 season quickly approaching. Season tickets went on sale today, uh, today being Monday, uh, December 13th, so be sure to reserve your spot or spots at Clark LeClaire Stadium for this spring uh, as it promises to be another tremendous campaign for the Pirates on the diamond. ECU will be seeking to host a fourth straight regional and capture another AAC championship. Just call 1-800-DOW-ECU or go online to ecupirates.com to get your season tickets today. Right now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and go to that conversation with East Carolina Athletics Director John Gilbert. As always, to have a, a visit with this next gentleman, and very happy with all the things going at ECU, right, Bubba? Yeah, very excited right now to be joined by the director of athletics at East Carolina University, John Gilbert. John, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Glad to have you on, John. It's hard to believe time is flying, but three years ago you took the job. I believe it was December the third, if my memory serves me right. First of all, uh, in the interview, just wanted to get your reflection on. It's hard to believe it's been three years, but I uh, know that all your hard work is starting to pay off. Well, it it um, it, it certainly has been an eventful three years. Um, a lot of positives, a few things I'd like to forget or don't want to be reminded of. Um, but but all in all, j- just pleased that you know we're, we're starting to trend in the right direction from a football standpoint um you know just so many positive things that that took place on the field this year that you know i think there's renewed hope and and uh understanding that we're headed in the right direction john um at what point during the season as we look back uh for you personally did you realize that that we uh we were going to kind of probably get to where we need to be in terms of getting back to a bowl game and uh, putting a good product on the field? Well, we, you know, we, we joke uh, in athletics, you know, somebody will come up and, you know, tell us, um, you know, things are great or things are not going well. And we, we joke internally that, you know, uh, your approval rating in athletics really is day-to-day. And for for me, I think the turning point was the fourth quarter of the Marshall game. 
you know, we started out 0-2, uh, you're, you're going into the fourth quarter, and, you know, human nature, you're thinking, man, if we don't pick it up, we're, we're about to go 0-3. That is not what our expectation was for this season. And then, you, you know, you beat a good Marshall team on the road, and you could just feel like, you know, our, our players and our staff, you know, I think they always believed that they could do it, but but actually doing it on the field, I do feel like that was a turning point for us. Yeah, you mentioned that Marshall game. Obviously, then we went on the three-game winning streak and got rolling. We got bowl eligible at Memphis and uh, went on from there. Look ahead, obviously, to the bowl game, and, and we'll circle back around, but we look ahead to the bowl game, uh, December 27th, Annapolis, Maryland, 2.30 p.m. kickoff. Get your tickets to cupirates.com. Talk about how bowl ticket sales are going. And uh, how soon did you know uh, we, we were headed to Annapolis before it was officially announced? Well, I, I had a – let me back up. Ticket sales are going really well. I think we're a little over uh, 4,000 tickets sold. And, um, you know, really good for us because we do get to keep the revenue that is associated with uh, ticket sales. And, and then – you know, I, I knew uh, at the Navy game, I met with the military bowl. Uh, they, they were, that week leading up to the game, they indicated they wanted to talk. And I talked to a, quite a few bowl people. And then, r- really, I felt like after the Navy win, I, I felt like it was a real possibility because I did learn that the military bowl has the second pick in the American Athletic Bowl lineup. And so uh, I knew in short order that the military bowl said, you know, if you're not picked to number one, we're not letting you slide out of the number two slot. So I, I felt pretty good about where that was after the Navy game. And, John, that obviously with the military bowl is great because, as you know, we have a big fan base, alumni all over the place, being uh, the big university that we are. But in that DMV, the – D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, a lot of, of course, alums, and then a lot of alums on the East Coast and not too far away. It's a great, not only location as far as drive, but also for the fact that there's a lot to do there. Well, well, there really is. I think, number one, from a location standpoint, people from eastern North Carolina can can get to Annapolis in, in relatively short order, and they don't have to hop on a plane to do it. Uh, I think the second positive is we're getting to play an ACC opponent. Uh, you always want to, uh, you know, play teams from that league given our, our location and proximity. Um, you know, we've never played Boston College, so I think that is, uh, you know, that's a huge positive. So um, all the way around, I think it's a really good fit for us. John, shifting gears, uh, obviously you talked about everything um, that's trending in the right direction. Now we see the tangible on-field results and um, things that um, you know, have been – it's an extension of what you've seen behind the scenes um, from a culture standpoint and with what Coach Houston and the staff are implementing and continuing to do so. Um, just talk about the recent contract extension and also the pay raise. Um, that's putting, a, putting Coach Houston in the upper third of the American – and then um, also talk about the staff compensation because I had not seen a number there. Um, where does that stand? Well, uh, w- one, I-, I think it's uh, important. You know, we need to invest in 
uh, our sports teams when they're successful. And if you look at Coach Houston and where his staff were, you know, they were at the bottom of the league. Uh, we, we finished tied for third uh, in, in a competitive league with three teams that are still, um, you know, looking to leave to, to go to the Big 12. And so I felt good about where we were in conference and, and our competitiveness. Uh, we need stability. Um, you know, and, and so the the time is now to to invest in Coach Houston and his staff. So excited to back him up an additional three years and take him back to five, uh, with the additional compensation certainly warranted. Uh, we'll we'll put him in the the you know top third, but but not at the top of the American. Um, and you know we're still working through of exactly where our assistant coaches will land. Uh, but but certainly time to invest in them as well. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of things that football drives uh, from an athletic department standpoint, and the more you can, you know, stabilize your football program, the better off you are. John, conference realignment, hot topic about a month, two months ago, uh, and it always seems to come up at different times. I don't think it's ever going to be over. How do you feel about uh, what the American did, the decisions they made with that? Arasco and uh, whoever made those decisions clearly uh, went after media markets. And I, I think some of that, personally, this is me speaking, I think some of that is really good. Some of that I did not like at all. I, you, you look at the Sun Belt and what they did um, going with more of a regional model. Uh, what do you think about the additions to the American and where we stand in terms of a conference? And I have a follow-up to that uh, with the uh, television revenue. I just wanted to confirm uh, what I've heard uh, that the current teams in the American, the television revenue would stay the same, but it would be different for the new members. That, that is correct, and, and I think as you look at the the, the landscape of of the expansion, uh, the the positive, you know, we we can debate, you know, a school's merit, um, you know, all day. I, I think the the big takeaway for uh, ECU is, you know, our, our uh, conference distribution, you know, TV contract is going to remain, you know, stable for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, the the new members are coming in on a, you know, tiered uh, process that eventually they'll they'll get to a full share, but it's going to take a little while to get there. And so we we have remained stable in that regard, and I think that's the big positive. Because as you you look at the landscape, you know my my expectation when those three teams announced they were leaving, I was concerned about taking, you know, a really big haircut on what the the TV distribution would be, and th- and that didn't happen. Now to your comment earlier, it it is, you know, it's never done. So. Uh, if we stay intact, I feel really good about it. If if another team or two leaves, that then obviously, you know, we're back in a different discussion. So uh, feel really good uh, about where that is. And then the other piece for us is, you know, I talk to our student athletes all the time about who our rival is. That they always mention teams, you know, 90 miles to our west that are not in our league and I say no t- tell me in our league who our who who our rival is and and we really don't have one and so I, I do think with the addition of of Charlotte 
the ability to play a conference opponent that you can bus to, that's in-state, that fans can travel to. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to be a rival overnight, but but certainly uh, us playing each other in each other's backyard, there, there are going to be some positive things in that regard. Is there any talk about Charlotte expanding their stadium so East Carolina fans could actually attend? Uh, I, I've had I'm not sure what what Charlotte uh, is doing uh, with their facilities. I, I I focus on ECU. I've got enough to say grace over right now. Yeah, speaking of uh, scheduling, you talk about Charlotte. Um, Charlotte was on the schedule for 2024 and then also uh, 2025. Uh, so if you would touch on those openings and then just scheduling as a whole, um, some of the opponents in coming years, uh, you have regional foes like Wake Forest, South Carolina, Marshall, and Georgia State. You also have intersexual opponents. Um, very exciting to see BYU and then also Boise State on the schedule. So um, talk about um, your philosophy there. I know uh, also in 26 and 28 uh, we're short a game, but we don't currently have SCS, excuse me, opponents on the schedule, so I'm guessing that's the direction we'll go on those seasons. Well, well scheduling's tricky, um, as we all know. Uh, obviously, we've got NC State at home to open the season, and next year we go out to BYU in October. Uh, we've got the Michigan bye game in 23. Uh, in 24, Charlotte comes off the schedule as a non-conference opponent. Uh, we're going to add in an FCS opponent uh, there in 24, and then we also have another game uh, we need to get. So we would go FCS opponent at Old Dominion, uh, App State at home, need a game. 25, we've got NC State and BYU uh, both at home. Uh, 26, we've got West Virginia at Boise and App State. 27, South Carolina and Wake Forest. 28, NC State and Boise. And then really, 29 and beyond, we did a long-term home-and-home with ODU uh, that's still on the books, and we'll need to add some some games. So really, I guess the immediate need is 24. We need an FCS game that we're working on, and then another FBS game to to be determined. On the lines of scheduling, obviously everybody wants to play Power Five opponents, but uh, a couple of a couple of regional uh, so-called Group of Five programs that uh, have been of interest to me. Coastal Carolina has become you know coming to prominence. Seems like it would be a team we would have some interest in playing from a regional standpoint. And uh, perhaps uh, Liberty? Yeah, um, obviously I'm in favor of playing regional teams. Uh, you know, when it comes down to scheduling, uh, again, you, you start talking to some of these teams, and they they are booked until, you know, 2030 and beyond. It's It, it can get uh, a, a little uh, hairy uh, going that far out. So we'll continue to look at, at teams uh, – like I'm looking at coastal schedule now, they're full and 24. Um, but but in later subsequent years, you know, there may be opportunity there. John, I had two questions uh, to add to that. One, add to the scheduling. Any hope for UNC? And then the other would be, uh, as far as a, I know, at the press conference last week, a week ago with Mike Houston, you talked about uh, potentially a capital campaign for next year. Is that something we can expect as far as an indoor practice facility and other things for? baseball and other sports? Um, I do anticipate uh, a capital campaign sometime after the first of the year. It will be 
comprehensive in nature where all our sports teams uh, will, will have, um, you, you know, the, the opportunity to fundraise for different projects for sports. Um, you, you know, it'll be projects that, that really, uh, you know, all of our sports uh, can be affiliated with. And so they're, they're, the Pirate Club and, and myself will be busy uh, talking to our fan base about helping invest in some of those projects. John, you mentioned the Pirate Club, and, and one thing that you know I've had on my mind for a while now is ways to grow the Pirate Club. The Pirate Club numbers have shrank over the last ten years dramatically. Have we have we came up with any you know the, the, the typical ways that the Pirate Club has done things for years now? Have we have we come up or tried to come up with any new creative ideas? For the Pirate Club to try to grow it, um, that, that's uh, that's something that you know. When you're talking about fundraising, if you got a bigger pool to draw from, that obviously helps. Yeah, well, um, I, I would say over the years, like in general, most departments' annual funds have have uh, taken a hit. Now we did do a special campaign last year called We Believe, where we did a six-week campaign and generated almost a million dollars for that you know, just a hair shy of, of a million. And so we'll continue to do special projects like that. We'll also do sports-specific fundraising where um, if you want to give to a particular sports program for their restricted fund, we, we will, you know, do that as well. And so private giving is going to be real important for the Pirates as we try to move this program forward. Kind of along those lines with the Pirate Club, um, one of the things that I often hear um, as a rep here in the greater Charlotte area and then you know, dealing with uh, former athletes and that are out of the region that cannot get back to games as frequently as they like, sure, you uh, hope people are you know, giving um, just because they want to support the program, but a lot of folks you know, like uh, something tangible and to see that they got something for their gift in addition to just helping the program. So. I know down through the years there have been things like um, you know certain prints or a, a variety of of uh, things that have been given to Pirate Club donors. And so, what are your thoughts on something like that? All in favor. We we need to do things to get people engaged and you know find ways to entice them uh, to, to give. So we're, we're I'm all in favor of of uh, doing those types of things. My brother and I were discussing before we got on the line about our next year's home schedule. Um it's a very it's a very attractive home schedule. NC State does in the year, other non conference games against uh against uh Campbell, which is a you know good regional opponent. You uh old Dominions coming, you know, that they uh Ricky Ronnie's done a great job up there. They're a bowl team this year down in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, another regional opponent. And then you look at the conference slate, I believe you got UCF, Navy, Houston, Memphis, which are all Attractive conference games. So it's a very nice home schedule next year with seven home games. Um, are, when will season tickets go on sale? Uh, in, any thought of, you know, after the bowl game, particularly if we win it, uh, doing something promotional to for a limited amount of time to sell the season tickets maybe at a lower rate? And are prices going to stay in, in a similar price range? I know with the seventh home game is in, in NC State, it seems like they might go up. Uh, so what, what, what's that going to be like? Well, a couple of things. Um, one, it is an attractive, uh, you know, schedule. Um, two, we we will do, we will roll out our uh, football season tickets here in the near future. 
what we are looking at what our pricing will be with the seven home games you know they will be higher because you're going to have an additional home game we haven't landed on the exact price for that but but i think it's also an important piece like you know at some point we we've got to uh drive ticket sales and and try to fund it if we all want the program uh to be what we want it to be like it it takes funds to do that so the the more you discount tickets like we've had to do just to get people to come it it really does have an impact uh on the funding of your program so uh, i'm hopeful that we'll have a robust uh season ticket sales again with with NC State at home uh, I, I would think we would do very do very well in the season ticket campaign for next year. No doubt, John. I think that's uh, like the guys were saying, especially when uh, Mike Houston does such a great job on the field and with the, everything that uh, he's meant to the program. What other things would you like to see as far as uh, – I know we talked about the indoor practice facility, which is A number one, but as far as uh, football is concerned, are there other things in the stadium upgrades or – Things that we can do looking ahead. Well, well, I, I think there it's there are going to be a multitude of projects. Uh, you, you know, we we need to do a massive renovation of our swimming locker room uh, in the aquatic center, uh, the indoor practice facility. We've got uh, a baseball locker room renovation. Um, we, we need to look at the space in our teams building uh, for all the sports programs uh, that are out there. Uh, so I, I think that there's going to be a multitude of projects that our fan bases, um, you know, we're, we're going to ask them to help us uh, invest in those uh, to, to ensure the success and sustainability of ECU athletics. Yeah, and I have a follow-up to that, John. The school board, uh hard to believe, I think, sitting there for 11 years now, uh, and, and the PA system, uh, at times this year, um, it sounded wonderful. I think the Temple game, for example. Other times, it sounded like somebody was talking into a football phone from Sports Illustrated. Um, yeah. I, I, are we going to do something to address the, the sound system? And uh, I don't, is the scoreboard going to be replaced anytime soon? And I heard a rumor. You know how rumors go. Uh, is there is is you know you can confirm or deny this? Is there talk of putting ribbon boards on the uh, Town Bank Tower? Well, we we are looking at replacing the scoreboard for next year and, and some of the boards on the inside. The the final plan we have not finalized. Uh, so so uh, still some room uh, to go there. But from a scoreboard standpoint, uh, we we absolutely need to replace it. It's um, you know, we can't really get parts for the ones that we have now, so we, we're holding our breath down the stretch of what what we could do for it. So uh, we certainly will be looking towards, uh, you know, doing that. Um, as far as East Carolina basketball, we have not touched on the tremendous start and Pirates off an 8-2 record, and I have Liberty and Southern Miss remaining in the non-conference portion of the schedule. Uh, but, you know, you take a look at it, uh, um, with Southern Miss and then Wichita State um, at home uh, when the students are you know, still on break. Just talk about some of the things that, that you and Eric Ward with sports marketing are going to do to uh, ensure that we have solid crowds like the other night the students had over uh, 1,100 there. Well, well, certainly pleased about the, you know what, where our men's basketball program is from a start standpoint, 8-2, uh, and two, uh, 
uh, undefeated at home. Uh, so, so really moving in a positive direction and just can't say enough about our students, how, how often that, that they are showing up. And so we're, we're hopeful, even though it's a, a noon start, that uh, you know we're going to reach out to the local student population uh, and see if we can't get them to, to come to the game and be supportive when we take on uh, both Southern and Wichita State. Curious to know what's up with the noon start on a weekday. Uh, it's a doubleheader. It's the last day of play before the break. We typically, uh, on a doubleheader, uh, you know, the the women, you know, would play first and then the men. We reversed it this time because of Southern Miss's travel. And, and so we're going to play them early and allow them time where they can get back home for their Christmas break as well. Yes, John, thank you so much for coming on. And we will wish you the best for 22. Merry Christmas to you and your family and looking forward to seeing you at the bowl game and all of next year. Look forward to it. Happy holidays. Thanks, guys. Go Pirates. There you have our conversation with East Carolina's fourth-year athletics director, John Gilbert. Always appreciate his willingness to come on the program and look forward to having him back very soon. Right now, uh, we'll not waste any time. We'll go directly to our conversation with Cliff Godwin, the eighth-year head baseball coach of the Pirates, joined us recently to discuss a variety of topics. And let's go to that right now. Oh, I know we're recording this interview. It's kind of like a hot stove league kind of interview today. It's cold outside, but we're very excited to have with us now head baseball coach of the East Carolina Pirates, and that would be Cliff Godwin. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No doubt, Coach. We obviously wanted to have you on. Uh, busy. Um, oh, I don't even know if there really is an off season anymore, but I want to get a chance to talk about, uh, first off, to talk about uh, the 2021 campaign, put a bow on it, and uh, get your thoughts. We hadn't had you on since uh, the season ended, so we want to give you a, a thumbnail schedule on how, what your thoughts were of the, the season. I thought our guys and our staff did a tremendous job last year. You know, people forget just going through fall practice in 2020 uh, with all the COVID stuff going on and then starting the season with no fans and then having to play a conference schedule that had four nine-inning games in three days, no midweek games. And for our guys to stay consistent through the year and our staff to be able to manage all that stuff, I mean, looking back on it, it's one of the – biggest feats that's ever happened at East Carolina University, in my opinion, because it was a grind, man, especially those four-game four, four game weekends in three days. Uh, once we got about halfway, it takes the staff and the players about two days to kind of get our feet back underneath us, practice a couple days, and you're right back into it. And for us to be able to host a regional again for three straight years, I think we're one of three teams that have done that in the country. And to have Clark LeClaire, the jungle, packed for the regional, um, that regional environment was the loudest I think it's ever been at Clark Claire since I've been here. Um, it was just a great atmosphere, and our guys performed well. And, of course, we go to Vanderbilt, and our guys competed and went toe-to-toe with the second-place team in the country. And we just we got to figure out a way how we can host a super regional here in Greenville, North Carolina. That's going to be the, the uh, ticket for us to knock that door down and play in the College World Series. Coach, you had a couple of staff changes. If you would talk about Austin Knight coming and taking over for Jason Dietrich. 
awesome opportunity for Coach Dietrich moving on to Cal State Fullerton as their head coach, and then Austin Knight sliding over to that role. He'd worked very closely with Coach Dietrich anyway. So uh, talk about that transition. Well, Austin, I've known Austin for a long time. You know, he was a catcher at Ole Miss for the three years that I was there. So his freshman, sophomore, junior year, he probably spent more time with me than he wanted to because I was his catching coach, I was his hitting coach, I was his academic coach. But I knew he wanted to get into coaching one day, and I've kind of just followed his career. And then when we had the opportunity to bring him here a few years ago, He's just a great baseball guy. He's a great human being. But he told me, he goes, one day I want to be a pitching coach. And so we started letting him be around the pitchers and helping Coach Dietrich. And normally you have about 20 guys on the staff, so it really was a plus for all of us that he wanted to do that. And he would stand next to Coach Dietrich during the game, and then I would stand on the other side, and they would collaborate on pitch calling. And Coach Dietrich was a great mentor, but – you know, people have asked, you know, why, why did I choose Austin Knight? Well, I chose Austin Knight because he's going to be one of the best pitching coaches in the country. And, yes, he might not have some of the experience that other guys, and we had a ton of interest in the job with where our program is right now and could have got some head coaches that wanted to just be our pitching coach at East Carolina. But I knew from day one who I was going to hire, and that was Austin Knight. In addition to Coach Knight, um, there's obviously another staff change on Coach Macias, David Macias, coming over from Vanderbilt. Yes, Coach Macias actually was a freshman at Vanderbilt when I was the director of baseball operations, and same sort of thing. Uh, have watched his career, and probably a blessing in disguise that he was on the Vanderbilt staff in the Super Regional, got to spend some time with him there, and talking with Eric Backage about him and what type of coach he is, and He's been at the professional level as a player, as a coach. He's been a strength coach in college. He's been an assistant coach at one of the best programs in the country. And it's really, we're really blessed to be able to bring him from a program like Vanderbilt into our program. And our guys love him. He's super knowledgeable. He'll be in charge of the catchers. He's already made our catchers a lot better. He also works with our outfielders. He also helps. Uh, me and Jeff with the hitters and just team defense and everything. And he's brought a lot of good ideas to our program already. And he, he's a great person. And we're super excited about him and Pam, his wife. And they have three kids uh, all under the age of three. So that's been interesting. But uh, he loves Greenville already. And it's just been a great, great addition to our staff. Coach, before we start to dive in a little bit about the roster for the season, I wanted to obviously brag about you and your support staff and coaches about off the field with volunteering, but uh, specifically about academics. We always like to talk about that with you, and I want to give you the floor a chance to brag about the the team. Uh, once again, an unbelievable GPA considering all that you guys have to go through. Well, people forget, and, and even sometimes me, I forget, but when we took the job, and Jeff and I are the only two um, from day one that have been here at East Carolina back in the summer of 2014, well, at that point in time, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but ECU baseball record, and it had only been tracked for the previous seven years, had never made a 3.0 team GPA. So me, being uh, a former guy that the parents made, do really well in school, two-time academic All-American at East Carolina. I tell people the only way I could be an All-American was to add the academic piece into it. But that was our first goal. And that first semester, we got a 3.05. And you would have thought 
we won the College World Series is how happy we were as a staff. And now you fast forward to today, and with the guys that we're bringing in and the support staff and Rebecca Wade putting a huge emphasis on it, we've gone four straight years. So that's eight straight semesters of having a 3.41 team GPA or higher. And once again, this semester will be four and a half years because the final grades haven't come in, but our guys are in exams right now, and, and they've done a really good job. And it, it means a lot to me because at some point in time, baseball is going to be over. Some of them are going to have the opportunity to play professional baseball for how long, who knows. But we got to make sure that they have a great education so they can uh, set themselves up and their families for the rest of their life. Coach, if you would tell us about this fall, how did things go? Which returners, you know, made some nice strides? On what newcomers impressed you? And uh, you, you also had the opportunity. One of the great things of being located where we're located, so many great teams within a three, four-hour radius, and you were able to get some work in against Liberty and UVA. Well, this this fall's been uh, pretty challenging. It might be the most challenging fall for me personally, and you know, uh, it started with the passing of Nico Agnos, a guy that's been such a great person of our program with Jake and Zach. And, you know, a lot of times you get to know parents, their kid comes in, well, you know, I've known the Agnoses for probably over eight years. And just having to, to navigate that and, of course, Zach uh, dealing with it. And But, I mean, it hurt me too because I was close to Nico. And then as soon as we kind of got through the celebration of life and stuff. I got COVID and having to navigate through that. And uh, we're right at the beginning of fall practice. But I thought our guys, and especially Zach Agnos, man, did a really good job of just showing up every day. And that's all you can ask is just showing up every day and trying to get better. And uh, we, we definitely have an opportunity to be pretty good in the spring. And I tell people all the time that, on paper, we're pretty good. So, but guess what? That gets you. That gets you nothing. So, you got to go out there and do it in the spring and stay humble and stay hungry. Coach, uh, you, I know you had the Purple Gold World Series, a chance for the uh, kind of inner squad scrimmage. But uh, can you talk about that? And also, uh, we'll start off as far as the roster. Really happy to see uh, that you're pretty deep, it looks like, uh, with pitching. Yes, uh, the Purple Gold World Series, we always finish the fall with that and you mentioned earlier about us playing liberty liberty's really good they, they've got really good arms and we tied the first seven inning game had a 5-3 lead going into the top of the seventh and, and gave that up tied the first game then we won the second game uva uh we lost game one and in seven innings 12-6 and then won i think six to one in game two and just getting especially some new faces out there is always a good thing and especially on the mound our pitching depth, especially the freshman class, in my opinion, it's the most talent that we've had in any freshman class. But they're still freshmen. They're still working through some things. And we've got to get them in the strike zone a little bit more. But I thought Coach Knight uh, and those freshmen and other guys make tremendous strides within our program this fall. And just looking forward to them when they get back in the spring and see, to continue to see their development. Some of those proven commodities on the mound, Coach, obviously, and guys, lefties like Wivenhunt and Cooch Maynard. Talk about Cooch. I heard some great things and was unable to make it out to any of the Purple Gold World Series or those games against Liberty or UVA. But talk about Cooch. Uh, I heard he is more like the old Cooch this fall. 
Coach Nightingham worked a ton and watched old video from two years ago and just they did some mechanical tweaks to kind of get him back right. Um, his stuff's way better. He's throwing the ball harder, which uh, can only help him. His stuff is, like I said, just better, just sharper. Breaking ball's better. Change-up's good. Uh, thought he tried to overthrow early in the fall, and he was just kind of getting used to the extra velocity. The last two outings against UVA and the Purple Gold World Series, he pitched really good. was outstanding. And if he can sustain that, then we're going to be in good shape. Wisenhunt did not pitch in the fall from the workload that he had in the spring and then also being with Team USA. Uh, so he has been playing catch since November and is starting to get off the mound right now. So he'll actually be in front of the other guys that pitch this fall because they have to shut down and they just are getting ready to start picking up a baseball this week. Uh, Coach, can you talk about, obviously, with uh, the infielders, uh, one of the great things that you've created at East Carolina, I think, with recruiting is with the competition. Competition's a great thing. Can you talk about your infielders uh, coming back? Well, rent's due every day if you want to be in a quality program. And, <laughs> right. um, you know, we played uh, Ryder at short and Zach Agnos at short this fall on opposite teams most of the time. Zach also played some third base. Macaravich spent most of his time at second this fall just trying to get him a feel of that position. Uh, I think that he will be better at third base uh, just because he's played there more. Uh, Jacob Starling was actually injured this fall. He's about 95% healthy right now, but he'll be an option at second. Joey Green will be an option at second. C.J. Boyd's a utility infielder, second, first, outfield. He had a really good fall swing in the bat. Ryder was tremendous at shortstop, and we worked on his swing a little bit. It's, he seems to be hitting the ball and having more quality at bats uh, the best of his career. And Zach had a really good good fall, especially considering the circumstances with his dad. So we have some depth there, Josh Mullen at first base and some others. So uh, it'll be uh, be interesting, you know, be tougher on the coaching staff to figure out who's going to be on the field at any given time. In the outfield, you have proven commodities like uh, Bryson Wall. Uh, so if you would touch on those guys and then also um, talk about the return of Skylar Brooks. Uh, he unfortunately sustained an injury, and uh, how's he progressing? Well, let's start with Bryson. Bryson, and I don't know how many people know this, but the last game of the conference tournament in the first inning, he went up against the wall, made a great catch, and just had a really bad sprain of his left AC joint. In his shoulder, he didn't take BP for two weeks. So played in the regional, uh, didn't take BP, uh, finally took BP, like a very brief, uh, abbreviated version at Vandy in game one. He, he wasn't healthy. I would say he's 50%, he was 50% healthy going down the stretch. And it actually took him most of the summer just to kind of get his shoulder back healthy. So he started out a little bit slow, but I'm expecting big things from him, a guy that's played a ton of baseball. Riley Johnson. Uh, had a tremendous fall. Uh, him and Bryson, one of those two guys, will play center field. And if they're not playing center, they'll probably play right. Carter Cunningham, a junior college transfer, had a tremendous fall. He still needs to continue to work on his defense a little bit. But left-handed hitter, can hit the ball of the park, can run. So excited about him. And then Lane Hoover. So Hoove is the you know ultimate worker, voted by his teammates, the hardest-working position player on the team and also voted uh, by his teammates to be the best teammate, which means that 
that dude does everything he can to help help the team get better every single day. So definitely have some depth out there, and there's some other guys that could, you know, AMAC can go out to the outfield and CJ Boyd as well. Coach, uh, I wanted to uh, mention one thing before we go. I know Bubba has another question, too. Uh, appreciate you carving out some time for us. Now you've got a speaking engagement today. wanted to ask you as far as uh, make sure we can plug the baseball banquet. Every year it gets bigger and bigger, and we want to uh, make sure that uh, we raise a lot of money for you. Well, February 5th is the date, and I can tell you this, there's been more interest this year than there's ever been. Uh, so if you want to get a ticket, I would definitely do it before Christmas because we only have about 600 spots in the student center, and that's including our team, our support staff, and some of the support staff family members. So it's a hot ticket. Clayton McCullough is coming back, first base coach for the Dodgers, one of my best friends, former teammate, Connor Norby, and him are both going to speak, and you also hear from a couple of our older players. It's a great night, and we're so fortunate we're going to be able to have it face-to-face again. Here recently, Coach, the 2022 schedule was released, so if you would, I mean, touch on that. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me were some um, new faces. You know, we had, of course, played Bryant in the regional up at UVA, but you had a three-game series with those guys, and then also uh, St. Mary's and uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah, you know, Coach Palumbo and I work hard to try to get the schedule put together, and people don't understand it's years in advance. It's not – you're not doing it right now. It's years in advance, just like recruiting. And, you know, uh, I really appreciate Scott Forbes. He's agreed to as long as we're the head coaches at our respective in- institutions that the second weekend we're going to play a three-game series. And this year we're playing two in Chapel Hill, one in Greenville. Next year we'll play two in Greenville, one in Chapel Hill, and we'll keep rotating it. We've got NC State back on the schedule for home-and-home, home, Coach Avent has been uh, been great the past few years to get that scheduled. Uh, UNC Wilmington, home and home. Campbell, home and home. Uh, Duke, home and home. And, and it's just it's a tough schedule. And then you got the American Conference in there as well. So uh, we'll have to show up every day or, or we won't get where we want to go. Coach, one final question before we, before we let you go. Obviously, this is very important to me. I know it is to you. I always say on our show, give the man what he wants. Uh, can we talk once one more time? Uh, I want to see a massive uh, capital campaign uh, next year. One of the things, uh, the pieces of that is for baseball. And can you talk again about, number one, about uh, the things you want uh, for I know, former players like a locker room, that sort of thing, and also how can we can get the job done to raise the money for you to, to have that happen? Well, it's unfortunate for everybody that COVID hit. Everybody got affected and pay cuts, furloughs, all that stuff. But right before COVID hit, John Gilbert and I were set to go out and fundraise and try to raise this money for the facility expansion. And it's really for the players. You know, I got two coaches. They share offices. Uh, One coach is in the coach's locker room. Our team room's too small. Our locker room. And and those things underneath are really outdated. They haven't been changed since the stadium was built in 05. And we're just going to expand down the third baseline and when we do that, it will be an opportunity for some premium seating to be above the baseball offices that will slide down the third base line. And just another great place to view or increase our stadium capacity, which is always a good thing for when we could host regionals. So uh, we're definitely working on that, and uh, we would love to have somebody come donate us whatever they got. And you can always donate to ECU Baseball specifically 
uh, for the Pirate Club if you just put ECU baseball only in the memo section. All right, Coach, we'll let you run. I appreciate you with your time. Uh, if we don't talk to you, I want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and, of course, we'll have you back on uh, to preview the 2022 campaign. Thank you, guys. Thanks for always being great to work with, and Merry Christmas. There you have our conversation with East Carolina head baseball coach Cliff Godwin. Always appreciate Coach coming on the program. The 2022 season is just around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. Be sure to go online to ecupirates.com or call 1-800-ECU to get your season tickets for this spring and reserve your spot at Clark LeClaire Stadium. That will do it for this edition of the program. Be sure to follow us on social media. Follow the Sports Objective on Twitter, the Sports OBJ, and also at the Sports OBJ on TikTok, on Instagram, it's at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook, and of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel as we're always putting out new content. Be sure to ring that notification bell so when we drop new content that you're notified on your device. For Dave Richmond and Kyle Barber, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum, and you've been listening to the Sports Objective.